0: So when I think about the future of our industry and those efforts coming into play, I see an increasing importance on this this triple win concept or the, the triple bottom line, people call it different things, but looking at the impacts of our decisions on not just our immediate stakeholders, but the stakeholders beyond that. And so um, you see that very obviously represented in tenant controls, in fair housing, and ADA and increasing awareness around those things. But I think when you look at some of the additional abilities we have, so standardization in the industry, data mining and collection, those sorts of tools allow us to make bigger strides on those issues. This is a highfalutin sort of thing to be talking about, and I think we could, we could be a lot more micro on things, but that is a trend I'm aware of. And when I think about the future, I think about how it weighs through that point of view.
1: This is always a highlight. Uh, you know, when I, I think about years past the kind of conversations that have taken place uh, that we're moments away from. We've got an awesome panel, very excited to introduce you to, and really excited to talk about the future of property management is how this is styled. The Future of Property Management. If you have a workbook or a piece of paper, this is one you're going to want to grab, a pen and paper, notes for, wherever you're taking notes. And uh, I'm going to be taking notes as we go all throughout here. We've got an excellent panel that we're going to bring up. I'm going to tease and preview who we've got here. So, we've got Travis Bowling, we've got Peter Loman. we've got Jen Rulins. we've got Matt Whitaker here with us today, and again, some places in your workbook to take some take some good notes. Welcome, hello, my friends. Good to see you. Excited to do this with you. And uh, here's what we'll do: we'll go down the row and give you just a moment to introduce yourself for those that haven't met you before. Uh, we'll go Travis, then Peter, then Jen, and then Matt is the order. You guys are on my screen. So, Travis, can you get us kicked off a little introduction? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Good morning,
2: everyone. Travis Bowling, based out of Gilbert, Arizona, co-founder of Home Ladder Property Management, where we're helping landlords save time and earn more one home at a time. Awesome. Great. Peter,
1: you're up next.
3: Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on here. Um, my name is Peter Lohman. I own and operate a property management company in central Ohio called RL Property Management. We manage uh, just under 700 rental homes and apartments. And, uh, I love this industry. I I try and share what I what I learn with a broader audience, and uh, appreciate you having me on.
1: Very good. I'll give a quick shout out if you're Twitter. If you're on Twitter, Peter's a great Twitter follow. Highly recommend that. Uh, Jen, can we come to you next?
0: Hi, I'm Jen Rulins, uh, founder and broker owner of One Focus Property Management, right around 600 doors in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is North Central. But in the business 20 years, this business 10. And um, I'm really excited about this panel because I get to hang out with some really cool people and hear smart people say smart things. So that's a great afternoon for me.
4: All right, Matt, can you bring us home? Hey, everybody, Matthew Whitaker. I'm uh, dialing in from Birmingham, Alabama, and I work with a company called EverNest. And uh, I, too, Jen, am excited about uh, being on the panel with these, with, uh, with a bunch of smart people and uh, excited to hear what they have to say. So thanks for having me, Andrew.
1: Yeah, well, it's great to be with smart people, and then there's Andrew Smallwood too here to moderate. Uh, nice. In addition to that, so <laughs> great to be here with you guys. Uh, thanks for. I just want to say thank you to this panel. This is something that they're giving of their time and in, in support, having a great conversation, which I know they'll they'll appreciate themselves, but also in service of you all that are here and of the industry. So excited to get into it. Let's dive in. First question we're going to kick off is. What are the trends that you all are paying attention to, appreciating, tracking? You know, what are some of the insights right that your interpretations, right, that you're you know taking and making on those trends that are informing your strategy, you know, your business decisions as you look to the future of property management? What are you paying attention to? What do you feel is important and why? And why don't we do this? We'll start with. Uh, traps again here, although we don't don't need to go in any specific order. And this is, you know, there's no rules here. If you guys see something you want to jump in or piggyback on, feel free to just jump in.
2: Put me on the spot, Andrew. Thanks. Now, I I think uh, the biggest trend I'm seeing is just the availability for both us as property managers, but also do-it-yourself landlords to debundle our property management services. So there are so many options out there right now for us as property managers to outsource services. So we can have our entire books done by a by a separate bookkeeping outsourcer we can get all of our inspections complete by another company that specializes in that. We can offload all of our maintenance calls to another call center that handles all of that. Self-managing landlords have the same uh, tools at their fingertips now so it's really debundling the industry much like the uh, entertainment industry has been going through so debundling is the biggest trend I'm seeing and it's the operators that can adapt and make those strategic decisions of what do I buy versus what do I build internally? that's who's going to be the most successful going forward, in my opinion.
1: Awesome. Thanks for getting us kicked off there, Travis. Uh, yeah, I'll open it up to the panel here. I see Peter nodding. Peter, can we call on you next?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point, Travis. Um, I forget who it was, but there's a famous quote about like the history of business is just bundling and unbundling. And you got to know sort of where we are in that trend and whether we should be trying to bundle more or unbundle more. When I think about trends that I'm watching and trying to stay ahead of, one thing I'm noticing is a big focus on operations. I think our industry was really focused on growth and really focused on profitability for quite a while. And a lot of the water cooler conversations that I'm hearing in person and virtually is about streamlining operations and improving those to sort of, you know, yeah, maybe make a little bit more money, but also just have a little bit of a calmer environment in the workplace and lifestyle as a business owner. I also am watching disruption. Uh, So disruption is a word that gets thrown around quite a bit. But if you've ever read a book called The Innovator's Dilemma by Clay Christensen, he's the one who kind of coined this phrase. And in the true meaning of the word, it's a very specific type of disruption to an industry that's from below meaning a new entrant comes in and offers a limited feature set to a very narrow scope of the customer segment and really outperforms there and then slowly starts chewing away at the market share by uh, sort of enticing all the best customers to come to to them. And when I think about our industry here, what this means is tools and technology that enables self-managing landlords Um, That's really what I think the disruptive threat is for professional property managers. Um, There's a company called Hemlane. I really don't don't know much about them other than the fact that they enable self-managing landlords to do a lot of things that historically you would need a professional property manager for. So that's something that I'm really watching and trying to make sure that we're not on the wrong end of that. We don't want to over deliver to our customers when maybe it turns out that they only really value a small narrow subset of the features and benefits that we offer as full service professional management companies. And I'll say one more trend that I'm keeping an eye on, and this is under the category of business intelligence, which is basically like dashboards and operational data. I think this is something that our industry is way behind on with the tools and tech that's out there right now. And I'm really excited for kind of the next generation of companies and performance improvements that are going to be enabled by getting a really deep and cohesive look at operational data, like time to turn, time to lease, lease renewal rate, churn rate. Uh, and we're, we're getting more of this, uh, especially as it relates to f- financial benchmarks and um, scorecards and things like that. But the true operational data, unfortunately, is somewhat still locked up in a lot of the property management softwares and scattered all through the business. So I'd love to see that start to become more of a focus for conversation and, and uh, tech and and vendors in our space.
1: Peter, thanks for sharing that. You know, something we talk a lot about in this community is where where is this direction going right here, right? The gap between the do-it-yourself landlord and the professional property manager, is it shrinking because DIY investors are finding ways to duplicate? Some of the activity and value of the professional property manager, right? On their own or through tools or other ways. Or are property managers finding ways to expand, right? The gap between what a do it yourself investor can do. Obviously, second nature, we're betting our entire careers and lives on equipping the, the professional property managers and saying, how do we expand this gap, right? To create more value in a way that differentiates. Professional I love that visual.
3: Managers. That's awesome.
1: Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Matt Whitaker, can we come to you? And then Jen, I I get to leave you at the end, if that's okay.
4: Yeah. So two things come to mind. Uh, The institutionalization, what I would call the institutionalization of the industry, right? Like you have these uh, big operators that whether they're owning their own properties, they're starting to provide value to residents that uh, as professional third-party property managers, we're going to have to keep up with them so that we're continuing to have residents live in our home versus going to their home. And so how do we, how do we offer things like resident benefit packages? And, and, and I'm not saying this just cause Andrew's here, but uh, how, how can we basically keep up with the amenities that are, that, that um, that these big kind of like wall street operators are able to provide uh, at scale. And the other, the other thing uh, is just around the like, AI and chat GPT being able to automate a lot of our processes. We we have, as you know, as property managers, when I was first out renting houses, one of my frustrations came when I was having to consistently have the same conversations over and over again. And so there's a lot of those same conversations that I think we can automate with residents and with owners. Uh, but mostly with residents that we can we can save ourselves and our team a lot of time uh, with those same conversations.
0: I, I concur with everything these gentlemen have shared, and I and I have a lot to follow up on that with. But I'll bring up just one other issue that's a little bit more high flying, and I I call it the uh, the rise of the isms. Right, so racism, classism, sexism, ableism, and our increasing awareness in our culture of these issues and the impact it has on people and populations, and when you look at our industry, systemic bias and discrimination is baked in from back when it was serfs and literal lords of the land. So when I think about the future of our industry and those efforts coming into play, I see an increasing importance on this this triple win concept or the, the triple bottom line, people call it different things, but looking at the impacts of our decisions on not just our immediate stakeholders, but the stakeholders beyond that. And so um, you see that very obviously represented in tenant controls, in fair housing and ADA and increasing awareness around those things. But I think when you look at some of the additional abilities we have, so standardization in the industry, data mining and collection, those sorts of tools allow us to make bigger strides on those issues. This is a highfalutin sort of thing to be talking about. And I think we could we could be a lot more micro on things, but that is a trend I'm aware of. And when I think about the future, I think about how it weighs through that point of view. Hmm. Very
1: cool. You know, just reflecting back a couple of things here, um, you know, Matt, you talked about AI. And for those looking, by the way, we had a, a panel on AI, a follow-up panel with Wolfgang Krasky, who I think is on here uh, and is a great resource on some of these topics and practical applications. Uh, You can find some, find some more information on that and discussion that's been happening leading up to this, but it's just, I feel like every time I turn around, I see like a new thing. I was showing our marketing team yesterday, somebody who took a mid journey product. And it was like, I don't know if you guys have seen this. I think it was on Twitter where we saw it. They, they, they took a Lord of the Rings and they did like do Lord of the Rings, but Wes Anderson style. And it was unbelievable. Like the 90 second clip that they were able to put together with you know, some minor editing and, you know, things over over a 30-day period, you think about the production value it would normally require, right, to create something like they created and how that's been just like 100x down uh, in such a such a short period of time. So it's going to be really interesting to, to follow. It feels like one of those vectors of technology, like when we went from on-prem to cloud, you know, it's like AI is another one of those just vectors of technology that seems like it can drive a lot of the kind of disruption that... That Peter was alluding to earlier. Jen, love what you shared about aligning and building a housing industry that works for everybody, right? Uh, that's certainly certainly what we value and believe here. So with that said, I'm going to move to another question. We'll transition here., uh, this is a fun question, and uh, it's one. We're leaving the the record button on, but we encourage people to speak as if it weren't. Uh, and that's the question is, what bold predictions might you have for the future? This may be one you could be wrong about. You'll acknowledge, hey, Maybe not. But like, here's a bold prediction about the future, something you see that's possible, that's a little unconventional, a little interesting, a little out there. Uh, Peter, if I can come to you first on this one, we'll just mix up the order. So Travis doesn't keep having to go first.
3: All right. uh, Sure. So yeah, sort of a bold prediction, five, 10 years down the road. I know Matthew kind of briefly touched on this, but I think we're going to continue to see the institutionalization of single family rentals and and small to medium-sized boutique multifamily. if you look at uh 100 plus unit apartment buildings basically 100 percent institutionalized you don't have individual you know mom and pops owning those buildings really much anymore nor are they managed you know in an ad hoc basis everything about those buildings and those transactions is is corporatized right it's you know, the debt, the equity, the management, um, you have LPs you've got. Right. So everything about it is very professionalized and institutionalized. And we're historically our area, which is the single family rentals and small multifamily has been insulated from that for better or worse because wall street and those folks, haven't really been able to get their hands around what's up with this asset class. What are the returns gonna be? How do you manage these properties? What's the right way to market and transact them? How do you roll them up? Is it possible? Are there economies of scale once you get to a certain point, right? Well, these questions are all starting to get answered and the technology has matured such that these can become predictable assets closer to what a 100 plus unit multifamily property can be. And Wall Street really wants to think of these things as like bonds, right? You put a certain amount of money in and you get a certain amount of money out. That's the cap rate um, every year. And then maybe you get some exciting, you know, tax benefits and appreciation on top of that. So I don't know exactly what that means for our industry, uh, but that's something I'm sort of keeping my eye on and we'll see where it goes.
1: Yeah, I'll just open it up. Anybody that like to add to that or add an additional bold prediction as they look to the future?
0: Well, I have um, I have two. So one's really kind of wild, and uh, and I don't know what to say about it, and the other's a little bit more down to earth. So the wild one that I've been concerned about um, is that I believe housing, I keep saying over and over again, top three platform issue in the 24th presidential election, I think housing affordability, security, and access, and all parts of it are going to be really on display and open for criticism. What I am concerned about specifically since COVID is that the issue of housing becomes politicized to where your role in the industry might be aligned to a party or something like this, like it was with healthcare, right? Like like your political affiliation and healthcare got kind of aligned. And that's not good for housing. That's not good for this country. It doesn't really help the issue, but that's kind of a bold prediction I have if I look to the future and I see what's happening Um, and I'm concerned about. I don't have a lot to say about what happens after that. So that's all the further I got. The more down-to-earth prediction, so these antitrust lawsuits that are going on with the way commissions are paid, and I think even the evolving way people are seeing our value. I don't think the do-it-yourself landlord sees our management fee really connected to the value that we provide. and We fight a lot to show them that value. I think realtors and the people who do sales transactions are fighting to show that value. And my bold prediction is all of this is a perfect storm, and where we survive is when we look at our, we don't look at it as commissions. Instead, we are charging maybe more like asset managers for a percent of um, assets under management. Maybe we're pr- putting our services forward more like accountants or lawyers where there's a professional fee on an annual basis, plus some on a project or retainer basis. And my bold prediction is is the the companies who can figure out a better way to tie the value they produce um, to the fees that they're charging. Will have a better way moving forward. The more novel, maybe even the better.
1: It's a it's provocative to think about how this industry is understood and how it's thought of, how it's positioned, impacting the business models, right, and revenue models of the industry. That and how those might change, you know, over time. Interesting point. And I think uh, I think there's a lot of agreement in the chat, by the way, concern shared with you, Jennifer, about your point of housing becoming a partisan. Issue not just a political issue of how we make decisions, but a partisan issue where we, we've got the typical kind of frustrating overlapping monologues rather than productive discussion solving housing problems together. So, thank you for sharing that, uh, Travis. I saw you coming off mute, so can I come to you next?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that we're gonna see an increased velocity in mergers and consolidations, and not just within PM operators. I, I'm predicting we're gonna see this amongst the institutional players. And even like our third party vendors, the, the companies out there with fortress balance sheets and steady cash flow are going to be able to take advantage of the coming recession, which I'm predicting, and buy things for cheap, hopefully, and uh, take out the zombie companies that have been uh, weighing us all down with, with bad operations. So that would be my bold prediction over the, over the next couple of years as money gets tighter, that uh, it's going to force people to make tough decisions and it's going to po- force people to get more lean and the strongest will come out stronger.
1: I saw some nodding heads on that one, Travis. Thanks for sharing that. Matt, can we come to you next? Bold prediction as you look to the future?
4: Yeah, I really liked what Peter said. I was actually going to say the same thing. Um, And my advice would be don't get caught in the middle. Don't get too, if you decide to build a boutique business, don't get too far away from your clients or you need to be large enough that you can offer your clients uh, some things that nobody else can offer. I would say um, along lines of Mark Brower popped in the in the chat channel. He said about fractional ownership. I do think trading real estate is going to get just easier and easier using technology, and so you may have the ability. I may have the ability to log into a website and literally buy real estate within seconds. And just think about how that is going to complicate us managing for clients and managing for uh, the owners that we that we manage for now. Um, you just got you, the, the, the technology is already there to do that. It just hasn't been totally applied to real estate. And so I would, I would think that our clients, we may have a client one day, uh, and then a client, different client the next day and then a different client the third day. So how are we going to, how are we going to attack that? It's,
1: It's interesting to think about like something we hear so often is, um, how emotional of an asset single family rental can be like, people don't accidentally buy a 200 unit apartment building, you know, and it's not like where they drew the height marks of themselves, like growing up. Right. <laughs> but the, the single family asset, it, it's, it's emotional for not just the residents, but also many times the investor profiles, the owner profiles that I we're working with and, you know, making good thoughtful, long-term oriented decisions, right. That could be the benefit of all. It, interesting to think about how, fractionalizing real estate, some of these other opportunities, how that could work. What's gonna get democratized versus what's gonna get uh, consolidated and owned by uh, people with bigger resource. Interesting to see how that will play out. Listen, I've got one more, one more definitely planned question. I could ask these people questions for the entire rest of, of our day if I had the time, but we'd also love to open up some time directly from the audience. So if we'd love to see your questions, make their way into the chat. Laura and I will keep an eye out so we can get a couple of those uh, before before we're done here today. And uh, here's the last one I have planned. If, if we think about um, best practices of tomorrow, that you know today could be the day, that the industry is ready for them, right? So making this a little more tactical, a little more practical. What are a couple of the best practices of tomorrow that you believe the timing is about right for the industry to start widely adopting these, turning these from a best practice today to a common practice, right, of the future. And I'm just going to keep uh, keep bouncing around here. So, Jen, I don't think I've called on you first yet. Can I call on you first this time?
0: Oh, sure. So a best practice that some are doing today, and I think more will be doing in the future, is data collection and mining. So, things that larger companies already do, they know down to the minute, their product production time, their their cents per you know, pound ship. They know their data down to a very small amount, and then they can really start to tweak for efficiencies operationally. This is difficult to do. In our companies, Peter and I have chatted about this before. We both tried to do it. The data is pretty noisy, not only within our own databases, but um, as we start to grow and like maybe I said, hey, I want to get together with several other operators like me and compare our move-in and move-out data. I want to compare move-in factors versus move-out results. This is a project we've tried to do. And we did have some limited success in it. We made some some operational changes. we tweaked some things that have really moved the needle and are, uh, just a hint, uh, credit score is the number one thing that impacts move-out results Um, between like landlord history, uh, whether relocating income ratios, credit score, by far significantly statistics, significantly statistically relevant. So I think, though, as it becomes easier, as we're more in these softwares that are capturing more of our transactions, we're doing more process management online and things like this. I think we're able to get more of this data that larger companies and um, that we're used to seeing on that scale. I think we could potentially start to use it not only at our company level, but because we're sharing softwares and we're sharing information and benchmark information already, we could be sharing that sort of operational efficiency data with each other. And that's really cool. And that's a huge advantage we have in this business where we're working together so collaboratively, all these small operators, we have the ability to take advantage of that stuff. And then we we are going to have to do that to keep up with the mega companies like our friend Matt's here. He's got data mining probably going on on that huge portfolio and he's going to be making exceptional decisions for his clients. I can't sit behind and be, you know, lagging behind him in the market. He's going to roll me over. So I've got to work together and and I think he'll he'll be showing us all how to do it. He shows us how to do everything he does already. So he'll be showing us how to do it and we'll be following his example. But that's something I look at in the future is data collection, mining and getting good at using data to make more money and
1: better results. Jen, thanks for getting us kicked off. Matt, it feels, it feels natural to come to you next after that, I think. Right? Um,
4: Jen's awfully kind. Uh, I, I wish I had somebody back there mining data. Keep in mind, uh, this, I, I do live in Birmingham, Alabama. So there's uh, I'd have to go somewhere like where Travis or Peter or you are, Jen, to find somebody that could mine data. Uh, but I am going to double click on data because I do think uh, I do think she's right. I think one of the things that's going to be interesting in the future is your proprietary data right? Like there's this like shared data out there that everybody's um, that that's out that chat GPT frankly uses. Uh, But what are you going to use? Like you're going to, you have proprietary data that nobody else has. And how are you going to use that? And that's, that's the type of thing that, um, that I think is going to happen with, uh, with this. Like I I think in 12 months, uh, 95% of this, everyone on this call will be using some sort of, AI or ML, machine learning, in their business, you may not even know you're using it, but some of your vendors are using it. I know there are vendors that underwrite applications that can already use machine learning to tell whether it's a fake uh, pay stub or not. So, um, so this is happening, and, and um, it's already happening in some in some edge cases, but it's getting more and more. And um, you know, we're going to be using it within our organization. The other thing I would say that a lot of people are doing a really good job of and and, and Amazon kind of like set the stage for this was, you know, Jeff Bezos came out and said, hey, I'm going to deliver books to your house. And once he built trust by you know, telling us when the book was going to be there and the book would show up, you know he started expanding the offerings that he offered his his customers that were buying books. So we went to toys and then started delivering furniture. and then now we just get everything. And now we trust Jeff to deliver pretty much anything. And so what I would say I challenge you too is like we have access, again, going back to Jen's comment uh, around data, we have access to information about our residents, about our owners that, very few people have access to. And, um, and so how can we expand the relationship with them that we're already that we already have with them, right? Like, once we built trust, once we've built a, you know, you do a great job, of property management, people want to buy more things from you. And so we think about it through the lens of the relationship and not a house, right? Like we have a resident that lives there, what are the things that the resident wants that, that we can offer them uh, as a company. And because we have unique information about them that we can offer it at a better price or more value or you know, uh, delivered faster than somebody else. And then think about your owners and your clients. What can you think about? Like, what is that relationship? How do you maximize that relationship? Keep in mind, like, and this is not you trying to monetize them and think of it less like transactionally. Because they want it, right? Like I want Jeff to sell me more things because I know he's going to deliver it on time. I know he's going to do his best to make sure it's the cheapest price. And so, once you have that trust with your residents, once you have that trust with your uh, with your clients, what are some other things you can do for them that'll help? Um, that'll help maximize, uh, you know, what we call lifetime value of that customer.
1: Awesome. Well said, Peter, I feel like there was something in our prep call that you were talking about that maybe be like a nice nice segue off of this, if I could throw it to you.
3: Sure, um, I'll see if I can resurrect that thought. Uh, real quick, just to comment on a couple of things Matthew was talking about. Um, definitely agree with sort of taking a long-term view of the customer and the customer relationship and experience. I heard of a guy one time, I don't remember who it was, describing a 50-year new resident process where you you go from application to approve to move in and then continue to to build trust and market to that person such that they eventually become a homeowner and you would help them buy find their home and buy their home and maybe go through a couple homes and then the end stage here is they become a client and they own rental property you help them find rental property buy rental property etc i thought that was super impressive so in terms of Oh, so getting back to what I was going to say about Matthew, so the right way to to frame this from the start, I think, is when you onboard a new client, we used to have what we called our new, new client and property checklist, right? And so in Lead Simple, it was just, it was all mixed together when whatever we would onboard a new client and a new property together. But the, there was a breakthrough for me, which is that those should really be two separate processes because your, your property is just an object that you have some tasks to do, but onboarding a new client is a separate activity and is really, really important and requires a different approach. And so you can, you can imagine how those two things might be separate. And that just makes intuitive sense to me. The first time I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. We need to be onboarding clients separately and thinking about them in a really specific way. Okay. Best practices of tomorrow. Um, I'm gonna say two things that I'm really uh, passionate about. One is, I believe that uh, tenant screening should be done blind. I think the person who's approving and denying rental applications should never meet the potential tenant and honestly shouldn't even know their name. This is for a few reasons. One, I think it's the fair way to do things because the person who's making this decision should be sort of grading the data about this person or the group against a set of minimum standards and it's pass or fail and so just from like a purely fairness standpoint i think it i think it's i'm not a believer in this idea that oh you need to meet them and shake their hand and look them in the eye and you even hear some people say things like you need to look in their car and see if their car's dirty and stuff like that something about that just rubs me the wrong way i feel like we're dealing with housing here we're not selling you know, trinkets, this is like people's livelihoods, and we need to take that seriously and be making data-driven decisions, not just something you heard from your granddad one day. So the other reason is, I think it, it, it insulates you from fair housing lawsuits, right? Someone comes after you and says, hey, I think you declined me because I'm a minority. You can say, I didn't know who you were. All I was looking at was numbers on the screen. All I saw was income, credit score, how many jobs you had, blah, 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 blah. I didn't even know your name, dude. Like, there's no way I discriminated against you. So I think that's the future. I think that's a fair way to do things and should be adopted as a best practice. We do that here at RL. The second one for me is that customer service within our property management companies should be separated from operations. If you look at the skills required to succeed for the average property manager, and anyone who's familiar with like the disk profiles, you're looking at high D folks. These are go-getters, they're gonna get stuff done, they don't take no for an answer. they follow up like crazy. they're they're willing to just jump in a car and go get something done, right? These are task oriented people. Those folks are amazing and most of our organization is filled with them. Customer service is completely different from that and requires a different skill set um, on the disk profile. I think it's like a high I and a high s that you're looking for in a customer service person. You want these folks to be people oriented, not task oriented. You want them to have a slow pace. You want them to really connect with individuals and have empathy. And these are the folks who you really want on your kind of tier one customer service. If a client or a tenant calls in or emails in with a question, um, if you can have a lot of the data available to those customer service folks, that does a couple of things. One, it gives them a great experience because they're dealing with someone who actually is motivated to care about them as a human and resolve their problems. Um, whether or not th- they're perceived as problems by the you know the property manager, and the other thing is is it keeps the sort of inbound support requests away from the operational people who are who are busy right. They're trying to get stuff done. They're going to a million miles a minute, and if someone calls and interrupts them with a kind of a stupid question about a late fee, that's just never going to go well for anybody. So I'm a believer in separating those functions, um, and I think that's a, a best practice that you know is. I I think is is the right way to go for our industry.
1: Peter, thank you for sharing that. Travis, uh, this is a question where it could be like tough to go last because uh, <laughs> a lot of ideas have been shared. But anything else you'd either reinforce or add when you think about best practices of tomorrow that it could be time to start practicing them more often today?
2: Yeah, thank you for that. I. I want to reflect back on something that Matthew said earlier about artificial intelligence. So I think one best practice that we all as owner operators need to embrace is we need to be at the forefront of technology, be willing to experiment often, try out new technologies, challenge old beliefs, adopt new methodologies, new processes. Like that needs to be a a constant process for it. It's called Kaizen, right? Continuous improvement. We all need to adopt that and live by that. One thing in terms of artificial intelligence, like I agree with the long-term vision of a chat bot on your website actually being useful and not just annoying. Like I, I do see that as a future state, but what can you do right now with ChatGPT? Our, our website partner, uh, Property Management Advisory, they have a really slick tool where it's now writing my rental descriptions. I, that was always a painful process for me of coming up with a creative description for a studio apartment in the middle of a crappy neighborhood. So now ChatGPT fluffs that up for me. It also takes like normal communication with owners. I can throw an email in there that I'm proposing to send to an owner and it'll fluff it up, add a little extra verbiage and make it softer because that's not my natural uh, ability. So I think be willing to adapt new or adopt new technology as soon as it comes out, experiment often and cancel the experiment if you find out it's failing. So yeah, that would be my recommendation.
1: Travis, thanks for that. Um, Really interesting stuff here. Like I've got a bunch of notes down from all kinds of stuff here. Like uh, even stuff that like makes me want to talk to our chief people officer Shim about how HR has done blinding in the process and how people have done that effectively. When we did the triple win awards, that actually will be highlighting not long from now, you know, we actually made the decision to blind all the applications, take all the identifying information out of you know companies that were submitting, and, and the idea being, hey, this is about the substance of the application. Try to eliminate any risk of even unintentional bias, right, or favoritism there. So it be interesting to see if that picks up as a trend too. Okay, we've got a couple questions from the crowd, everybody. So it's time uh, to time to bring those in. A couple that even were maybe even addressed just then. So I think we've got Mark Brower ready. We may have like Kelly Kaufman or a couple other folks teed up. But Laura, who should we bring up first to ask a question of the group?
5: Mark's ready. It's like
1: Mark. Mark, good to see you, my friend.
6: Hey, good to see you guys. It's a pleasure to be here. So. Um, Travis, uh, resonate with your comments about ChatGPT. I think we're living in a, we're a strange new world where a robot is softening our communication with humans, right? But uh, I actually had ChatGPT4 write a much better Mother's Day card than I wrote. And uh, of course, I didn't use it. Uh, so my question has to do with incentives. Um, you know, it was drilled into my brain when I studied economics in my undergrad at ASU that incentives drive behavior. I think we have an inherent problem in the property management industry because of you know, some of the factors of complete separation between tenant and owner and uh, and other things that, that caused there to be a rift where a property manager makes the most money, usually when things go the worst for the owner. I'm not usually a fan of government regulation, but I'm curious if our panelists, uh, what the view is on whether some regulation that requires certain disclosures of profit, uh, of, of revenue generators, um, and more clarity that shows the owner more clearly where the revenue is coming from the industry would be helpful.
1: Ooh, good one. I like this. Who, uh, who wants to pick that one up first? Thanks, Mark, by the way, for your question. Appreciate that.
4: Yeah, I'll jump in, Mark. I do think it's a hard question, uh, a super hard question. But uh, look, we operate in some markets uh, like Colorado. And I know, so there's markets like Cal- probably California. I shouldn't speak out of terms because we don't have a California office. But Colorado, uh, a lot of states requires specificity around where we're making money. And so we disclose all that in our management agreement. And so I have no problem with it. Uh, I I think like transparency uh, is a good thing for the industry. I think transparency, I I wish that the government, that government didn't have to regulate it, but I still think that um, going back to the way we think about it, if, if we're transparent, it does nothing but build trust with people. And when we build trust that, that allows us to expand our relationship with them. So uh I would hate for the government to have to do it but uh but I think being very transparent about where you make money is super important. Open this one up to the group. Any other thoughts to add here?
3: I don't like this at all. I'm not a f- not a fan of not a not a, f- a fan of this. Um I think the question of like where a company makes its money can never really be answered anyway. I think it's I mean, what pers- you know, how profitable is our application fee? Like well, okay. How much of my leasing agent's time are we allocating to that, right? How much? Of, like, I could argue that it's a hundred percent profit. I could argue it's zero percent profit. We actually lose money on it when you look at all the the wages and salaries and everything else that we pay. I mean, I don't see that that's actually going to solve any issues for consumers. I would be in favor of the industry coalescing around a set of standards as it relates to terminology and transparency with all the fees that could be charged and what they are right so think about the nutrition label facts that you have on the food that you eat you know the government doesn't require chick-fil-a to explain their profit margin on a chicken sandwich but they do require chick-fil-a to explain what's in that because that's relevant for consumers and so i would i would love the idea if the industry could coalesce around a set of standard terminology for the different fees that we charge, and then have some kind of a standard nutrition label facts type disclosure so that consumers could shop and actually compare apples to apples and understand, oh, this company charges a high leasing fee, but a lower management fee, and this company has no renewal fee, but has a high markup on maintenance, and like, let them do the math and come to their own conclusions about what they think is important and how the incentives are going to work out based on what the management company is charging. I'm all in favor of consumers having all the information to make a valid decision. So I think that's probably in the spirit of what Mark is suggesting. And I do like that idea. Um, What we don't want to do is let the government step in and tell us how we should be doing this. What we really need to do as an industry is act first and head that off right? So that we can design the solution in a way that actually makes sense for us.
1: Peter, great addition. Appreciate that. Jen, Travis, anything you want to add here?
0: Not really. I would concur though, that just, I think though, the one thing that hasn't been said is doesn't the market somewhat take care of this? I mean, when I heard Mark's question and clearly he has a different point of view than I do, because when I heard that I went, I don't even think there's a problem for the government to intervene on. It feels like the consumer advocates really well for themselves in understanding our contract and the fees and things like that. But maybe I don't, I'm not seeing what he's seeing and and things like that. So maybe we could educate our consumers, maybe that's a thing we could do as an industry is do a better job educating the values we're, you know, what are to, to Peter's point, what are these services? What are they called? So you can at least have a frame of reference, but then what value does that provide to you? I'm so sick of talking about like maintenance calls and inspection fees and leasing fees. I create so much value for you, when I do those tasks and we need to start talking about it more in terms of value. I don't think that's more transparent though. So, probably not toward works.
1: But yeah, no, I, what I like about this is it's, it's, I do, it does seem like an interesting step to say, like, here is our like cost structure and making that apparent to, it is hard to think of like other examples of that or, or where that's required. At least for me, it's hard to come up with something top of mind, but certainly disclosing here's the amount of the fee. Right. And I think, Jen, what you're also talking about is part of transparency is not just like giving all the all of the specific detail down to, you know, down to cost structure. But also here's the why, right, of why we do things and why we structure it so that people can understand how you've made the decisions and understand your thought process. And that that hopefully builds trust. Right. And attracts who you're for, or repels who you're against based on explaining that philosophy. I think that's a good point. Good addition. Maybe that's just my marketing brain going off. Well, we've got time for one more. We're going to bring up Kelly Kaufman to the stage. Laura, if we could do that, we got time for one more. There's Kelly. Kelly, thanks for being with us.
5: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I get to ask this awesome panel my question. So we are set up like I think a lot of other property managers are with a sales team. We have two business development, development managers. They're going out, they're talking to owners, bringing on new business, getting the property ready to be marketed. And then once a tenant moves in, it moves over to the property management operations team. I feel like what's happening is the business development managers are really building a relationship with the owners, but that relationship isn't coming over to the PM team when the property needs to transition. And I just wanted to see if y'all had any tips. Is there anything that y'all do in your companies and your businesses to help make sure that like the crucial information, like their goals, their, you know, just all the, all kind of like the fluffy stuff, but the stuff that really is important for retaining owners and building the relationship and, you know, helping them achieve their goals. That's something that I'm really trying to focus on right now.
0: I have a quick tip, but I I think Peter's one um, trend that he was noting really lends to this, about his separation between operations and customer service, but We were having a similar problem, except that we were, um, what I would say, bungling the transfer between the BDM and the operations team. A little bit different here, our BDM is simply signing the client, the operations team will get the unit ready and get it leased. And the thing we instituted was um, two things. One, we call it a stabilization plan. So the BDM is responsible for developing and confirming the stabilization plan, which is step-by-step, what are we gonna do on this property to get it to a certain endpoint? Great. Then we do a kickoff meeting. So the client signs their agreement, provides all the keys and stuff we need, and the and, and the and they know that that is leading up to a kickoff meeting. They know they're going to get kicked off, and the entire leadership team is present, and that is when the BDM kind of sells this client to the leadership to the to the team to the ops team. Going all right, we have owner Joe and Jane, and they did this and that, and then they want to do this and that. And so here's the property and here's the plan on it. We need to really make sure this happens and like, don't let them down on this and things like that. And it gets handed off. And the rule is that BDM cannot have more communication with that owner unless it's about signing more properties. And that's every single time there's a clear boundary that has to be defined and then maintained. It happens because all the only person that owner knew was that BDM and they place a lot of trust in that person. And so we're we're right now working on, we're doing really great at kicking it off and out of sales. We need operations to grab it and pull it in. That owner should never want to call that BDM again. They should want to call the property manager in charge of their property. And so we're just developing that right now, the pool. We've got the push, the pool we're working on. And that would be my, is to put a significant thing that hands it off and separates it. That would be my advice.
2: That's a really great question, Kelly. I, I feel like onboarding and reducing churn is, is one of the most important things you can do to improve your metrics and your profitability. Um, I'm really impressed with the onboarding process that Second Nature implemented. Um, I I know I met with the account rep that sold me on Second Nature and all the benefits that the go out there to residents. She's been on every single phone call with our onboarding person as well. And they they just communicate together and, and handle that relationship as a team. So in in past jobs, I the way I've accomplished that is I align the interests of both the BDM and the property manager. So if they're getting a bonus for an onboard, maybe stagger it where it's 90 days out after the owner has stabilized, or maybe once you've found a resident for that owner, that's typically when your churn rate is reduced dramatically or drastically. So just trying to align the interests of, of um, both team members and uh, follow the follow the examples of great onboarding experiences you yourself have gone through.
3: Yeah, I think I echo all that. This is a classic problem, right? Sales ops handoff. You know, customer builds a relationship with the salesperson, and then it gets kicked over to operations, and what happens then? So, a couple of things to add. We have a sales handoff form that our BDM has to complete, gives basic information about the client and the property, any background that could be relevant. This is over and above just all the normal property data that has to get entered. This is like notes from the sales process, right? That information needs to make it all the way to our operations team. the other thing we do, exactly like Travis was saying, align the incentives. Our uh, BDM uh, is on a base plus commission. The commission can be clawed back Uh, up to 100 days if the client churns out. So if the client leaves within 100 days, 100% of the sales commission gets clawed back from the BDM. That does a lot to align those incentives and incentivizes the salesperson to really make sure it's a smooth handoff. And then I think Jennifer mentioned this, but we do a kickoff Zoom call. Uh, I think it's really important that the client is on a Zoom with the salesperson and the head of operations or whoever that person is and that there's a smooth handoff and a face-to-face and um, face-to-the-name type thing. I think that that goes a long way. So just echoing most of what everyone was saying, I think.
1: That's great. Matt, any quick additions or anything else you'd share there?
4: I was just going to say we suck at this, Kelly. So I'm, <laughs> I'm learning right along with you. My experience has been that you're most talented property managers need to handhold somebody that's a fresh relationship and so we're we're actually in the process right now because we suck at it Uh, we have somebody that's really good at it um, but kind of the owner onboarding piece and so we're actually creating more of a centralized owner onboarding so i was uh, this kind of double clicks too on peter's comment around customer service versus operations and so we're creating almost like a customer service department that helps with the owner onboarding piece. So it feels a little more natural. Now the big question becomes, is it going to be like, the owner just feels like they're getting passed around. I hope not. Um, but we're, we've got a lady that is just really good at this owner onboarding piece. So we're creating, we're letting her run the owner onboarding department. And the whole idea is that, that we're basically holding their hand through the process and, and like, Travis mentioned, like it's real, they're really risky clients until you get a resident in their home and it's stabilized and people are paying rent, but you want the BDMs out there killing and you want your PMs executing. And to Peter's point, you kind of need somebody that's more of a customer service uh, person that sits in the middle. So that's how we're thinking about it. I don't know if I'm right or not, uh, but we're, that's what we're trying right now.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Good, good feedback here. Great question, Kelly, really appreciate it. You've got me thinking about, you know, a lot of times when people are running relay races, the way it gets run is like you run to a point and then like stop and hand the baton to somebody. <laughs> and then they, from a dead dead cold start are trying to run from there and that always, everyone I think has been on like the buyer side of that, right, if they have bought as a business and bought from a company, a lot of people have experienced that. So the idea of like, hey, there's this relay race that you're running alongside, right? with them for a period of time and handing that baton off can help for those smoother smoother transitions. That's all for today's Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your life with us. We do not take it for granted. I also want to give a shout out to Carol Housel for everything she and our team does to make these possible. It's crazy to think about over 5,000 professional property managers have pressed play on episodes in season one and season two now. And we really want to encourage you to keep giving feedback because more and more people are listening. It's getting better and better and better thanks to everything that you're sharing with us. If you like this enough to listen, want to encourage you to share it with other people. Um, You can give us feedback directly on those social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you're hanging out. You can also send us an email at at triplewinatsecondnature.com. And we just want to give more. There's no sales pitch here. Just want to offer more resources that help you find and stack your next triple win and become a triple win driven property manager so where can you find that you can find a private facebook group you can find our blog you can find our newsletter you can find more resources all at RVP.SecondNature.com. just search for what you're looking for there and every time we see you we want to see a better version of you and your business to that end keep it going feel inspired
5: take our encouragement and we'll see you next time